Welcome to ATRA, Voices from the Field. This sustainable agriculture podcast is presented by the National Center for Appropriate Technology with support from USDA Rural Business Cooperative. Hi, this is Rich Myers with the National Center for Appropriate Technology. We're talking today with Michael McCormick, who's the Executive Director of the Food Resource Center in Livingston, Montana. How are you doing, Michael? I'm well, Rich. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us. And could you tell us something about the history of the Food Resource Center and also the nature of what it is you do here? Okay, well, the, the Livingston Food Resource Center began as the Livingston Food Pantry. And unfortunately, like so many food pantries, it was located in a um, hard to get to low income, low rent part of town in an old automotive garage. I moved to Livingston in 2008 to retire and go fishing and got bored fishing every day, if you can believe that, and uh, started uh, volunteering at the pantry. And one thing led to another. Before I knew it, I was the executive director. And in that process, I began to be really frustrated with the role of our food pantry. And uh, being an old retired marketing guy, I wanted to know more about who we're serving, why we're serving them, why do they need to be here? Because that's what I became very much interested in right away. So we started doing research and defining the root causes of the problem, the issue of hunger in Livingston. And what became apparent pretty quick is that we weren't just dealing with hunger, we were really dealing with poverty. And hunger is just one part of poverty, and, and it occurred to me that you know, we can't just feed people out of poverty. We have to bring other resources and opportunities to the table to help people truly improve their situation in life. And um, how, does, how does the Food Resource Center work? Well, how, ba- how based, do that? Yeah, based, based on the research we did, it became apparent that about 75 to 80 percent in an average month of the people we were serving, they were in the food pantry because of unemployment or underemployment. And these were people who were telling me they wanted to work, they were looking for work, and I, um, I began to wonder, well, why can't they find work? So we did some focus group studies and it became apparent pretty quick that the reason people were having so much trouble finding work is they lacked marketable job skills. So understanding that, I went to the Livingston Job Service Office and looked at the, the numbers they had for jobs posted and the kinds of jobs that they had posted. And at the, the year I was looking at, the data showed that they had posted over 700 job openings that year. And drilling farther into that then, I'd learned that 17% of those jobs were for restaurant cooks and related kitchen workers. So from job service, I went out and started interviewing chefs and area restaurant owners, and they all told me essentially the same thing. We can't find anybody to hire. People don't have the training, they don't have the skills, the experience that we need to bring into our restaurant and put to work in ways that they can be productive right off because we don't have the capacity for doing training and development work. We've got to have people who can be productive and start making money for us right away. So I started thinking then, well, what can we do? 
the, the food pantries in the food business, what can we do? So the uh, development of a culinary training program began right then and there. And what I really learned doing all that research is just how significant the pantry's role in the community was at that time. For instance, we were helping feed between 650 and 700 people every month. That's just about 10% of the population of Livingston. And we were distributing into the local food system about 300,000 pounds of food every year. So like it or not, in my mind, that, that indicated that the food pantry was, was playing a significant role in the local economy, the local health care system, and certainly the local food system. And so I, I decided that we really needed to step up and begin to play a leadership role in the local economy, the local food system, the local health care and education systems, because we were contacting and working with and trying to help people who need all of those services in order to improve their situations. And how did you conceive the idea for what has become the Food Resource Center here? Yeah, well, at, at, at that point, Rich, I think um, the, the old corporate for-profit genes started to kick in. And I became very uh, frustrated with the typical food pantry model because what we were doing, maybe we were helping people, <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> maybe we were helping people not be hungry today, but at, at, at what long-term expense? Because typically, and, and our food pantry operated just like this, we'd raise some money, we'd go buy as much food as we possibly could, and we would distribute the food, and then that was pretty much the end of, of our mission. And when, when we started doing the research, we also did health research. And we talked to people about their health needs and what challenges they had. We learned that over 35% of the people we serve in the pantry are diabetic. About 40% have high blood pressure. So if, <clears throat> pardon me, so if what we're doing is just aggregating a lot of cheap, highly processed food and distributing it, maybe I'm, I'm keeping you from being hungry today, but at what cost long term relative to your health? I'm probably just making you sicker feeding those foods to you. So I, I really began at that point to develop an idea for a real response to poverty and hunger in this community. And, and that response in my mind had to have several different components. It had to be able to provide education. It had to be able to provide economic development opportunities. And it had to develop a method for providing truly healthful food to people in need. Food that people in need don't typically have access to. And we were gonna make all of that happen. And, and everything we do drives other activities that relate to economic development, health care, and education. And so what we brought together here was our food pantry, 
a community meeting room that is really a hub for all kinds of community activity, and a large commercial kitchen that is licensed by the state so that people can come in and start new food processing businesses, expand food businesses. We teach culinary training in this kitchen. We process food for distribution in the pantry. We allow farmers to come in um, and do value-added processing so they can open up new, more profitable markets for the foods that they're growing. And we did all of that so that we can really address the needs, long-term systemic needs of this community as those needs relate to poverty and hunger. And the economic development part of it, what's really important, I think, is that we've shifted a huge amount of our food acquisition dollars from buying from big corporations where every month I'd put checks in the mail, mail, mail them outside of Montana. Now, at least half of that money is shifted to buying from Montana farmers and growers. So we're sourcing more locally, we're processing this food in our kitchen to enable us to uh, not only help farmers be more successful, but to provide work and healthful food for distribution in our community. So how much processing does the Food Resource Center do? Rich, that's a hard question to answer because it's all based on availability of raw material. But basically the answer is as much as we can because we've shifted, as I've mentioned, so much of our food acquisition to fresh area grown, most of it organic food, buying from area farmers and ranchers so that we can bring it in and process it, extend the shelf life before I'd bring in fresh produce and it would be on the shelf for a, a week or so uh, if it weren't all, all distributed. Um, and then, you know, then what do we do with it? Well, now with our new commercial kitchen, we bring that food in, we'll distribute some of it fresh to people, and the rest we'll take into the kitchen and we'll turn it into essentially value-added products, soups, stews, sauces. For instance, we, uh, we brought in 200 pounds of fresh tomatoes a few weeks ago, put it in our 40-gallon steam-jacketed kettle, cooked it for two days, and made the best tomato sauce you've ever had. And that tomato sauce, along with other products that we're processing was all distributed here in the food pantry and this doing it this way has many many um, advantages one we're buying from local farmers I want local farmers to thrive and do well and succeed because without them we don't have a local food system you know it, it's going to be the Cisco truck pulling into town every week. So we want to work with farmers. We do forward contracting. I'll sit down with farmers and talk about next year's crop and I will commit to pricing that is good for us and good for the farmer because again I want that farmer to succeed. 
We'll do forward contracting. We've got the facility here to allow farmers to come in and add value to crops so they can create new products, allowing them to open up new markets, and the value-added products is where they can really make money. They're not selling just a commodity item off the back of a pickup. They're now opening up new markets, restaurants, schools, hotels, hospitals, you name it. So there's a great deal more opportunity. We bring this food in. Now this is chopped kale, grown locally, organic. We distribute it here in the food pantry. We also will uh, process and vacuum pack like this in five pound bags that we keep in our freezer for use in our kitchen during the course of the winter. So that in January, we can pull out a bunch of kale and make a great soup or a stew or something. And we also have it in one pound bags like this for distribution to people in the food pantry during the, during the winter season. The whole goal here is economic and health driven. A much healthier product acquired, grown, acquired locally, processed here and distributed to people in need and this certainly extends the shelf life of, of, a, of a wonderful product. That's what we're all about. We're shifting people out of the cans, out of the processed food, into the foods that we process and make here. And all of our recipes are designed to be suitable for and to promote good health for people who are diabetic, who have high blood pressure, or have other uh, uh, illnesses or challenges that they're facing. We want food to be, as Hippocrates said, we want our food to be your medicine. So what standards um, and expectations uh, should suppliers and growers pay attention to if they want their crops their, and produce to be attractive to you to use at the well, Food Resource Center? Good question, and, and that's a the answer to that is really evolving because I go out and inspect every farm we buy from. I've got a checklist of uh, questions that relate to everything from the source of irrigation water to the last time you sprayed or fertilized or whatever you might be doing. We, we need traceability. I want to bring all this food in here, but I want to do it in a, in a very safe manner. The thing that keeps me awake at night is we process, bring in food, process it in our kitchen, distribute it to people in need, and somebody gets sick. And uh, we, we work very hard to make sure that doesn't happen, and that work begins on the farm. I want to see where these winter squash are coming from. I want to see where this food is coming from. I want to know the condition it's in. I want it delivered properly, maintained at proper temperatures, stored correctly, processed correctly, and distributed to people in need uh, so that they can enjoy this wonderful fresh food that, that we can produce. Great. And um, how and where is the produce received here? Most of the produce that we bring in comes right into our kitchen. We have a large door that opens into one corner of our kitchen and just inside that door there is some dunnage space and there is also uh, a sink set up, a big three compartment sink for washing. Everything that comes in, the first step is to get it squeaky clean so that we can put it in our cooler until we're able to start processing it. 
all of us working with farmers and the local food systems really have, I think, terrific opportunity to make a real impact on the health and well-being of our communities. I used to be a corporate guy and, and thought everything had to be on huge scales. Everything had to be national and international. And, and what I've learned in the food pantry in Livingston is that the issues, the challenges we're facing are local. The solutions need to be local. They need to be designed and implemented by local people. And they need to be people who are thinking more upstream, systemic, change. How can we really bring about lasting, meaningful change to our community, addressing not isolated aspects of poverty, not just hunger, but how does hunger relate to education and health care and economic development and all the other areas that we should be addressing, talking about, and developing programs that, that work, in, work synergistically together to, to bring about real change. It just makes me crazy when I hear people from big food organizations stand up and, and ask for more money so they can go buy and distribute some more food, and they say, we're solving hunger. Well, in my mind, they're not really solving anything. We have the opportunity at the local level to begin to solve. We at the local level have the opportunity to develop vaccines. Let's not, let's not invest all our efforts in buying Band-Aids. Let's work together to, to develop and implement meaningful programs that have real impact on people's lives, their ability to thrive in their communities. You can find other episodes of ATRA, Voices from the Field, along with ATRA's other sustainable agriculture resources at www.atra.ncat.org. That's www.attra.ncat.org.